Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Now, that video is about a year and a half old, and I, I love looking at it because it's kind of like our version of home movies. I don't know if you all have this Christmas tradition where when everybody's home for the holidays, you pull out the old Christmas or the old family movies, and you, you play those, and you watch them, and you laugh about the haircut that you used to have or the clothes that you used to wear or any of that, but it's kind of fun to see the haircuts that we used to have and the clothes we used to wear. It was clearly before I started wearing blazers. That's when we filmed some of those videos. But I love looking back at those and thinking about like where we've been. And I don't know if this happens for you, but for me this time of year, I get really like introspective and reflective on kind of the year that's been. It's kind of when everything in my life begins to slow down just a little bit, you know, working at the church, Christmas is kind of important. And so it gets, it kind of crescendos, you know, a couple of days ago. And now it's like the moment where it starts to let off a little bit and I can start to think about, well, how has this year gone? You know, what has this year been like? Uh, it's easy for me to get caught up in the day-to-day and the hustle and the bustle and jumping from one task to the next and always moving and always going and staying busy and never really pausing to stop and reflect and to look back. And so I love this time of year because there's just enough space to start to do that. And I think there's this natural rhythm that happens in our lives too. It's sort of the end of the year. We maybe begin to think about the year that was because we're also starting to think about the year that is to come. And so over the last couple of days, as I've kind of been getting ready for this new year and this new decade, I've started to think, well, how did this, how did this year go? And, you know, how did I do? Did I make the progress that I wanted to make, you know, as a person, as a friend? You know, how did we do as a church and, you know, in my leadership as a pastor of this church? Like, how did all this go? And my tendency when I, like, think back and when I reflect is to identify all of the things that need to be fixed. I don't know if any of you are like me in that way, but when I look back and I think about the year that was, I'm not a big celebration person. I'm like a, let's fix it and make it better for next year. And so it's an interesting habit that I have this time of year to think back. And I end up coming away with like a, uh, a more negative picture of the year then maybe was accurate because all I look back and see is all the things that I should have done differently, all the ways that I could have made it better, and all the ways that I want to fix it heading in to 2020. But I think there's a danger in one, not stopping to reflect, but I also think there's a danger for us when we look back and all we see is like the problems and the things that we need to fix. And I think there's this interesting opportunity as one year ends and another year begins uh, for us to really set a tone for what this new year would look like. And so I don't know what your year has been like. Maybe this has been the best year of your life and you got married and you bought a house or you got a puppy or your kid made it into the school that you were hoping for or you got the big promotion at work or, you know, the health prognosis came back and you were clear and there was no problems. Maybe this was a really great year for you. And maybe for you, this is a year you're quite ready to forget. You know, maybe there was, you know, 
a relationship that ended that you didn't want to end, or maybe your kid didn't get into the school that you were hoping for, or maybe all of the things that you were hoping to be under the tree or all the people you were hoping to have around the tree weren't there this Christmas, and so you're ready to move on. But I think if we're not intentional, we, we end up just following the same patterns and habits that we did this past year and we do into the new year. And so I think there's an opportunity for us today to really end this year well and to also to begin the year with some intention um, and headed in the right direction. It's kind of like if you've ever watched a relay race, you know how important that baton pass is, that moment where one runner hands the baton to the next runner and how usually the races aren't won or lost just in the straightaways, but it's always in the exchange that the mistakes are made. I don't know if you saw this a couple of months ago, but this is an example. So Great Britain in six, the United States in seven, Jamaica on the inside in four. You've got the newly crowned women's 100 meter and 200 meter champions in this race. Final of the women's four by 100 away. Team USA in lane seven, all in blue, third from the right. Nice start for Desiree Bryan of the United States, but Jamaica off to a great start as well. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price has the baton in her hand, trying to keep pace with the United States down the back stretch. Look at her go. The red hair, the yellow top. What a leg from Shelly Ann Fraser-Price for Jamaica. Jamaica, USA, and Great Britain all with a chance with one pass to go. Look at Jamaica now. Janelle Smith with a brilliant third run. Hands it over. Look out. Sharika Jackson is just sprinting away. Here comes Watch the second leg down the back straight. A real head-to-head -head between Shelley and Fraser Price. Oh, real shame just seeing pictures here. The Chinese having all sorts of problems. Oh, they're just uh, showing why their race unfolded. It's so painful. It's so painful. I don't know if any of you identified with those poor women, with the way that maybe you're limping into the finish line for this year. Maybe you don't realize that that's you and maybe you're about to recognize that it's you. But I think that uh, we have an opportunity today to make sure that's not us. Because how we end this year does determine how we begin next year. They're not separate chapters in a book that don't link or connect. There's just kind of this turning of this metaphorical page and one day links to the next and our lives don't stop. And so what is the best way for us to end this year? If we really wanna set ourselves up for a great 2020, for a great next year, for a great next decade, what's the, what's the best way to end this year? What's the best way to bring this year to the close? And there's, you know, we can turn to scripture and there's so many instruction that the scripture gives us for how we're supposed to live our lives and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves and the rules that we should follow there's a lot of that, and so we could maybe look at a couple of those that would help inform us and guide us, but I actually think that there's something else that the Scripture does a whole lot of that we often skip over because it's not that exciting to read, and it kind of feels repetitive and redundant, but I actually think it has the potential to make a huge difference in the way this year ends, and that's this word called praise. It 
really translates you know, to thankfulness, to gratitude, to appreciation. And so much of the scripture is filled with people thanking God for what God has done. And it's easy for us to kind of look at some of that cynically and be like, well, they're thanking God and attributing things to God that maybe God doesn't actually control. But I think the power of gratitude is that it magnifies and multiplies whatever it is that you place the lens of gratitude over. Because I think if you're like me, my tendency is to identify all the things you don't have or the things that you want more of or the things that need to be changed or fixed. And so you have this critical lens in which you view so much of your life. This is, this is what I do. I say, oh, I want more of this, right? I need to be better in this way or I don't have, I need to change or fix. But that doesn't solve the problem. In fact, it just ends up magnifying the problems that you do have. But if we begin to look at maybe even the things that we want to change, the things that we feel like we don't have enough of or that we wish were different with the lens of gratitude, as odd as it may sound, I think it actually has the potential to magnify and multiply what you do have. So take, for example, um, maybe you're spending the end of this year thinking about all of the ways that you wish you had a different job or a job or a better job or a job that brought in more money. If you spent time ruminating on that and dwelling on that, it would end up magnifying the size of the problem and decreasing all of the other things that you do have in your life. But instead, if we shift to this lens of gratitude and we begin to think about the job that we do have and we begin to thank God for the job that we have, or maybe the things that we have instead of the job that we wish we had, it begins to bring some levity and some life into the situation. It's like, God, Listen, I know that this job isn't my forever job. This isn't my dream job, but God, I'm grateful I have a job. God, thank you for this opportunity. I'm able to put food on the table for my family. I'm able to provide. I'm able to impact other people's lives through my work. Like, God, thank you for what you've given me. And God, I would love an opportunity in this coming year to maybe transition to a new job, but God, I am grateful for the job that I do have instead of, God, I wish I had a better job. This, one, this one's not very good. I look around and I see everybody else's jobs and I wish I had their job, but I don't have their job. I just have this job and it's a bad job and it doesn't pay that well and I work too hard and you know, I don't have any control over my hours and there's no flexibility and I've already used up all my vacation days for next year and the next year hasn't started and God, this is just, you go down this, this path and all you end up with is what you don't have. Instead of looking at something and recognizing all the, all that you do have. Maybe for you it's not a job. Maybe for you it's, it's a person in your life. It's a relationship. God, I wish I had a better spouse. God, please fix my spouse in this coming year. You look at all of the things that your, your spouse or your significant other doesn't do in your life. A lot of elbows, a lot of side eye glances right now. And you, you think about all the ways that you wish they were better. You look around and you're like, man, if only I was with that person, then things would be... And what ends up happening is you end up shrinking who you have. You end up ignoring all the things that they do and you only focus on the things that they don't do. And so the version of the spouse that you end up celebrating and the version of the significant other that you end up with is one that nobody would wanna be married to or spend their time with because all that they're known for is the things that they do wrong or all the things that they don't do or the things that you wish that they did better as opposed to putting the lens of gratitude over your significant other or your spouse and saying, God, 
they're not perfect, but I'm sure glad they love me. Because if I'm honest, I'm not perfect either. God, thank you for how kind they are. God, thank you for how hard they work in their job. Thank you for what a good parent they are to our children. God, thank you for even though they don't take out the trash on the first or second time, at least they get it right on the third time. God, I thank you for that. You know, we laugh, but I think if we could end this year instead of doing what I do and pointing out all of the things that we don't have or all of the things that we wish were different, but starting to end the year thanking God for all of the things that we do have, all of the ways that God has been good to us, I think it would begin to change the way that we look at our own lives and look at this coming year. I love the way the psalmist writes it this way. He says this attempt to express just in just a few words what the psalmist is grateful for that God has done in their life. And it says, I thank you, Lord, with all my heart. I sing praise to you before the gods. I face your holy temple, bow down and praise your name because of your constant love and your faithfulness. It's not kind of accosting God for what God hasn't done or the prayers that God hasn't answered, but it's saying, God, thank you for all of the ways that you're good to me, for all of the ways that you're faithful, for all of the ways that you show me love. Because you have shown that your name and your commands are supreme. God, you are so good. You answered me when I called to you with your strength. You strengthened me. God, the breath that I have in my lungs, I know it's from you. My ability to live and move through my day is because you supplied it. You gave it to me. God, I'm not naive to think that my own abilities are mine. All of this comes from you, God. And I, I acknowledge that you're the source of all of these things. And so God, I know that when I think about this coming year, because of your faithfulness to me in the past, I'm actually gonna be encouraged and not discouraged. I'm gonna have hope instead of fear. I'm gonna have this excitement about my life because I know that you are faithful. When I'm surrounded by troubles, God, I know that you keep me safe. And so as I go into this new year, I know that you'll do the same. You provide for me, God, there's always food on the table. There's always clothes and a warm house. God, I know that you meet all of my needs. And so as we go into this new year, I'm not gonna worry about what I don't have or what I wish I had more of, God. I'm gonna trust that you're faithful and you're good and you're generous to me. You oppose my enemies and save me by your power, God. And I know that you will do everything that you have promised. Lord, your love is eternal and complete the work that you have begun. God, I know that there's more in store for me. Just looking back over this last year and seeing all of the ways that you've been at work in my life, all of the things that I have that I take for granted, God. As I begin to express gratitude to you, God, I recognize how they begin to multiply. And if you spend a moment, maybe after this service or tonight before bed, starting to list the things that you're grateful for, at first you'd probably maybe get five or six, depending on how many people are in your family. And then what you'd recognize is that gratitude in a way is like a muscle that as you begin to exercise it, it grows stronger. And you begin to start seeing all of the things that you have as opposed to all that you don't or all that you're missing. And so as you would begin to write that list, you start to add names of people that you love and care about, people you're grateful for. And then it will expand to all of the opportunities that maybe you have in your life or all of just the physical blessings that we have, the fact that you're able to get up and come here this morning, the fact that you're able to move and to walk, to go about your daily life, just the physical ability that you have in your body. These are all gifts that people would gladly trade anything or any amount of money for. And we, 
often take them for granted. And so as we begin to think about and apply this lens of gratitude to our lives, what we see is the things that we have to be grateful for grow and grow and grow. And really, if you put everything in piles, all of the things that we don't have and all of the things that we do have, the pile of all the things that we do have that we could and should be grateful for would be so much bigger than all the things that we don't have, all the things that we'd long for, that we're missing, that we wish we had more of. That would actually be such a small pile if we really were thorough in our analysis of all of the things that we have to be grateful for. Could you imagine what this could do just the last couple of days of this year if you begin to think about all of the things that you had to be grateful for? If you begin to thank God for all of the ways that God had been good and kind and generous to you? Because if we're being honest, we haven't earned any of it. We don't really deserve God's goodness and generosity. That's why it's a gift and a blessing and we call it words like grace and favor because we're not entitled to any of this stuff. Come on, you know, it's like with your kids. The moment they start to get that entitlement edge, you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Just because you have a phone doesn't mean that you earn that phone. That's my phone that I gave to you and I could take it away at any moment. I'm sure God looks at us and is like, look at all this stuff that you have. You think you did that? At any moment, I could take it away. Maybe we should be a little more grateful for the stuff that we do have. I think if we begin to do that, at least we could do our half of ending this year well. But I don't think that's the entire picture. I don't think just operating and ending this year with gratitude as we plan for the new year would be sufficient to make sure that this transition goes well. I think the other thing that we could begin to do is start to move towards who we want to become in a very specific way, the type of person we're going to be in 2020. One of my favorite things over this period of time between now and the end of the year in the space that begins to emerge as work slows and schedules open and relax a little bit is I get to catch up on movies that I've wanted to go see in theaters or maybe that have come out on streaming services and I get to catch up on all the movies that I get to watch that I really love and but I don't really have the time to do that and one of the movies that I've watched a couple of times now over the past week is this one with uh, Mr. Brad Pitt called Ad Astra. I don't know if anybody's seen Ad Astra. Um, if you're a fan of Brad Pitt, you should go see it. Um, but it's this interesting movie because I feel like it's the perfect end of December movie. And the reason I say this is because it's like really introspective and haunting in like a good way. There's no ghosts, so if you're afraid of scary movies, don't worry about that. But it's this movie about a man, played by Brad Pitt, named Roy, who is kind of set in the near distant future where we have like deep space travel. And a couple of decades before, Brad's father, played by Tommy Lee Jones, goes off on a deep space mission and is lost and no one's heard from him again. And so the movie begins with Brad, who works for Space Communications, uh, kind of coming to the reality that life as he's known it maybe isn't exactly as he thought it would be because there's word that maybe his father's alive. And what would that mean for Brad that he's kind of spent his whole childhood growing up without this father figure and kind of 
trying to understand what it means to be a man in the absence of a man in the household and kind of the version of who he is that he's kind of built and discovered throughout the course of his life. And now all of this kind of comes to this screeching halt because he's confronted with the reality that maybe his father's still alive and what does that mean? And so he goes in search of his father. And that's kind of, kind of the whole crux of the movie and I'm not gonna spoil all of it, but what I love about this movie as I think it taps into this kind of universal human longing um, for meaning and purpose and significance. And it kind of asks this question back upon the audience as, as you know, Brad Pitt's character discovers the answer to this question, what are you looking for? And I think that's such an interesting question as we begin this new year and this new decade. What are you looking for? For some of us, we're aware that we're looking for something. It's very intentional and conscious. We're trying to become a better version of ourselves. We're trying to chase or pursue success or power or significance or happiness or just pleasure, but we're consciously pursuing something because we think that that's the thing we're looking for because if we find the thing that we're looking for, we'll actually have peace. We'll have meaning and purpose in our life. We'll be happy whichever version of those words that you use as you think about who you're trying to become. For some of us though, maybe we're not aware that we asked that question, what are you looking for? Maybe you've kind of ignored or closed off to the fact that we're all in search of something. We're all looking at this version of who we could become and wondering, will I get there? Will I like this person? What do I need to do to become who it is that I wanna become? And in a similar way, like, like Brad Pitt, we go on this journey in search of whatever it is that we're looking for. Now, the movie's called Ad Astra because in Latin that phrase means to the stars, and so that's literally where Brad goes in search of the thing that he's looking for. Some answer from his father, some answer to the question of who he is or who he should become. But for us, where does your journey, trying to answer that question, what are you looking for, take you? Does it take you to a place of hyper productivity and busyness, always moving and going, never stopping, never giving yourself any space or rest because you're just in search of something that you can't define or name or put your finger on, but you know that you're looking for something that you don't currently have? Or maybe for you, you just don't like that question at all and it is a little scary and intimidating and so you numb to that question, you distract yourself, you try to block out any voice of introspection and reflection. Maybe for you, you've just resigned the fact that you're not ever gonna answer it because you have tried lots of things and you're like Bono in that U2 song, you just still haven't found what you're looking for. Maybe that's you. What I think is interesting is in the Gospel of John, there's this story at the very beginning, right after John talks about Jesus coming into the world and celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's really the first moment that we get to experience and encounter Jesus in the scriptures. And I wanna show you Jesus's very first words in the Gospel of John. I think like all great stories, the first thing that you hear a character say or the way that at the beginning of a story begins, it's always significant, it's always intentional, it's never just haphazard or careless. And so I wanna walk you through this short little story this morning because I think it can help us on our journey to answer the question what it is that you're looking for. So 
The next day, this was after John the, the, John the Baptist who had been baptizing people and proclaiming that this guy named Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, was going to come into the world. He had been kind of doing his thing, and this is where the story picks up. It says, the next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus walking along. And he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, this was significant because typically in that time period, uh, there were teachers, rabbis, and they had, everybody kind of had their own following. And it was kind of like uh, colleges or universities, you know. And so, you know, if you were an LSU Tiger, you know, you didn't mix with, you know, maybe a, a Sooner from OU. And everybody kind of had their little bands. Everybody had their little groups. And teachers typically didn't spend a lot of time pointing out other teachers or encouraging students to pay attention to other teachers because they wanted their own following. They wanted their own group of people. And so what John does here in this moment is significant because he's like, look, the Lamb of God, this is the chosen one. This is the one that God promised to promise us. And so two of his disciples who are standing there with John, as John points out this person in Jesus, they, they're like, well, we're going to go follow him. I mean, if he's the Lamb of God, we want to follow this guy. Sorry, John. And, and so they do. And so they go, after, they go after Jesus. Now, typically the way that kind of rabbis and teachers and disciples work during that time period is you would find someone and you would follow them, literally. You would sleep where they slept. You would eat where they ate. And in the process of doing life together, they would share wisdom, insight, teaching, instruction. And so you would literally learn how to become a mini version of them by spending your time and spending your life with them. And so in scripture, especially in the New Testament, when it talks about following somebody or becoming a disciple of somebody, it literally means picking up everything and following them and living where they live and learning how to be like them. And so... This is what these disciples of John do with Jesus. They literally get up and they go and follow Jesus. So you can imagine if you're Jesus and you're walking by, and at the moment you maybe don't have anybody falling behind you, and so you're walking and John's like the Lamb of God, and then you hear footsteps behind you and you turn around and there's a couple of guys following you, you would probably think of something to say to them to acknowledge the fact that they're following you. And this is what Jesus does. And this is the very first thing that we hear him say in the Gospel of John. And it's the thing that the movie Ad Astra points at. And it's the thing that we all perhaps lay awake at night thinking about. But this is what he says. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? What are you looking for? I recognize you're all in search of something. Perhaps that's why you're here this morning. We're looking for something. We think perhaps the answer to that something we're looking for could be found here or shared with us or a secret could be revealed. We could have some insight on how we could find what it is that we're looking for. And this is the same instruction that Jesus gives to those disciples. And he, said, he says, what are you looking for? And they say back, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Now, for us, this sounds like a strange thing to say back in response to what are you looking for, but to them, this was their way of indicating that they wanted to become a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Listen, where are you staying? We're going to come stay with you. We want to follow you and live the way that you live and pattern our lives after you. And, 
And so the first step is to figure out where you're going so that we can go with you. And so he replies, come and see. And I think that's the beauty of Jesus is he doesn't give them a whole lot of rules. He doesn't say, okay, but first, before you, f- you follow after me, you have to do these things or you know, go take a shower and comb your hair and put on fresh clothes. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to get your life right and fix all the mistakes that you made. No, when someone comes to Jesus and Jesus asks them, what are you looking for? And they say, I want to follow. He just simply says, come on, come on. And so for you, as you're getting ready to enter 2020 and you're you're trying to answer this question, what are you looking for? I think there's a good chance that you will find your answer at the feet of Jesus. You will find your answer in pursuit and following him, trying to pattern your life like Jesus, to live like him. And the good news is that you don't have to do anything other than just come and see, to take that first step, to start that journey, to begin. And maybe for you, you've tried this again and again and again, and some years you get it better than other years, and that's okay. Jesus says, just come on, come and see, follow me. So they did the same thing. They went and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. And then the writer of John gives this very specific detail which would probably try to indicate a couple things. The first thing is it would indicate that he was an eyewitness so you can believe this story because he has the exact time of day. And so he says it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, the other reason that he would probably point this out was because of the way that people traveled back then. They went to follow Jesus. They figured out where he was staying. They remained with him that day. And they remained with him long enough that it got to be too late for them to go back to, their, to where they came from. They were with him to such a point, you know, where they couldn't do the thing, where it's like, well, it's getting late. We probably better, we probably better go home. Four o'clock was late enough in the day, especially because they were traveling by foot, that this meant that they had committed to staying with Jesus. They committed to following him, to being where he was, to learning from him, and they weren't going to go back to the way that they used to be or to where they came from. Because I think that's an important component of this following of Jesus, of being his disciple, is, you know, you can't kind of do one foot in or one toe in the water. You really, you have to commit. You have to say, okay, where are you staying? And then you stay there past the time where you could leave or slip out the back or oh this was nice thanks for I appreciate kind of the guidance that you've given me I'm gonna I'm gonna take it on home I got kids got to go to bed you know we got to put them down so I got to sneak out it requires a commitment say all right I'll be here I'll be present I'll commit my life and then one of the two disciples this is kind of some time later who heard what Jesus said and followed Jesus was Andrew So this is one of the two people who was a disciple of John who followed Jesus. And he was the brother of Simon Peter. And he went to go get his brother Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the chosen one. We have found God's anointed one. You've got to come check this out. I think that's the other thing that happens when you spend time with Jesus. When you really commit, you recognize that what you're looking for is found in him. And you want everybody else to come find the same thing that you found. And so he immediately goes to his brother and he's like, come on, you got to come with me. We found him. Everything that we've been searching for, everything our people have been searching for for thousands of years, all of the hope and the waiting and the promise and the expectation and the prophecy, it's here. It's in him. And you got to 
And you got to come see Jesus. And so, Simon does. And Jesus looks at him as he shows up, and this is what Jesus does to all of us, and I think this is the beautiful thing about following Jesus. And this is the answer to the question, what are you looking for? Jesus looks at him and he says, you are Simon, son of John. Now, what is lost in this translation to English is kind of the Hebrew and the Greek translations of Simon, son of John's name. This would really kind of be like in modern day language, it would be like Simon Johnson. You know, that's kind of what it would be. But the name Simon is significant because it conveys meaning. It means volatile. It means temperamental. It means anxious and uncertain and unpredictable. And so literally, there was the naming of the child that was intentional because this child was just a hot mess. This is like, hey, Johnson, you are a hot mess. And so they name him Simon. But you could also translate it differently. You could also translate it as Simon, son of John, the one who's constantly in search of. And Jesus says, this is who you are. I see you. I see that you are longing and searching and looking for something. But you will be. Called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And that means something totally different. Jesus looks at him and he says, I know that you are searching. I know that you are longing and looking. And it's, it's unpredictable and it's volatile and you're all over the place. I know that's who you are. But you will become Peter. You will become the rock. You will become stable and secure. And then later in scripture, Jesus giving Peter some insight into who he will become in the future. Jesus says with an intentional play on Peter's name, he says, on this rock, on this Peter, I will build my church. This is the beauty of finding what we're looking for in Jesus is we don't have to stay who we are. And in him, we have new life and new identity. And if we could do anything in this new year, I think it would be to discover who we are in Jesus. And so, kind of in summary to wrap up, because I know it's been a long month, I want you to end the year in gratitude, thanking God for all that God has done for you, examining your life, identifying the ways that God has been faithful and kind and generous to you, And then make a plan in 2020 to find what you're looking for in Jesus, to begin to follow him and to pursue a life after him because it is the end of that searching at Jesus' feet that he will look at you and say, you are, but you can be, you will be. You will be secure. You will be a rock. You will find new life and new purpose and new meaning in me. And I think that could be the best gift that we have in this coming year, in this coming decade. So let me pray for us. Let me pray that this happens. Let me pray that God gives us the strength and the ability to pursue this and to do this and to find everything that we're looking for in him. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, this is the end of what might feel like a long year. It's the end of a decade. A decade filled with highs and lows, joys and sorrows. But throughout it all, God, you have been faithful. God, help us to remember to take a moment to be grateful for all that you do for us, 
for all the ways that your love covers us and extends to us and provides for us, all of the things that we have that we don't deserve or that we didn't earn that you give us freely. And most of all, we thank you for the gift of your son because it is in him that we find the answer to what it is that we're looking for. That search, that fulfillment of who we hope to become. God, no matter who we are in this moment, we know that there is new life available in you. And we ask that you help us follow. God, bless our new year. Bless this new decade. And bless us as we enter into it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.